0: Hey guys. Welcome back to my solo road. It feels good and clean and lucky to be talking to you from a house for once. I have been on the road now in the desert and then in the mountains for like 10 weeks roughly. I've been feeling dirty and gross and I now have a shower and I even have a bathtub and a big refrigerator that can hold more food than like you know, a week or a week and a half, like I'm used to. Usually van life doesn't really get to me at all. I can stay on the road for months at a time and not be bothered at all. But for some reason with everything going on in the locations where I was, you know, I'm trying to stay places that were safe and close to a bigger town and all of these things. For whatever reason, it was just starting to really get to me. I think the shower thing was a big deal. Obviously all of the gyms are closed. So that is where everyone in vans, that's where we, clean ourselves, that is our showers, and just feeling this like indefinite sense of being nasty, (laughs) like you wake up dirty, you go to bed dirty, and after a while, it starts to kind of get to your mindset and your mentality a little bit, so yeah, I'm pretty pretty happy to be sitting in a chair in a very nice house on the coast of Oregon, which is beautiful, there's like a little beach behind the house, it is amazing, and yeah, I just feel calm, I feel a little bit more collected than usual, Pearl is on my lap, being cute like always, and uh yeah so one announcement I wanted to make before jumping into today's episode I spoke a little bit about having a van gathering this September in Hanksville, Utah. Uh, We are calling it the Road Trip Rally. And unfortunately, Katie and I have been talking a lot. She is going to be my co-host for the gathering. And we've just been talking and we just don't think that it's gonna be the smartest idea. I mean, up until this point, we'd really been like clinging on to the hope that maybe just maybe things would be okay by late, late September. We could kind of be like the one gathering that was able to happen this year because it was so much later than everything else. But we just don't really feel comfortable doing that. And I just don't want to risk everybody buying tickets and renting out this huge space for the gathering and doing all of these things. And then, you know, uh, the coronavirus resurface and we can't do it or things are just not that good by then, whatever the case is. It's just not worth the risk that we'll probably be taking by like definitely doing it then. So it will be rescheduled for next spring. It is still going to happen. We still have a ton of plans for it. We now have the logo and the branding, which I am so excited for. I'll probably post that on Instagram soon because I want people to see it so badly. So yeah, we're still just as excited about it. It's definitely still happening. And I will keep you in the loop on the podcast, on Instagram, on my website, and all of the places where you can kind of go and see what the new information will be as we figure that out and as things unfold. It'll probably be a little bit later spring because we want it at the same location because the place where we're having it is beautiful. You know, We don't want it to be too cold there, so we're going to wait until it warms up in 2021 and then we can all hang out and have fun and have a whole weekend of just doing a bunch of Van stuff and campfires and playing games and doing all kinds of stuff. So, unfortunately, yeah, that is going to be postponed for just a little while. I think it's the smartest move to make. Moving along, today's episode is a little bit different. I have never done a not in person interview because I really feel more comfortable sitting in front of the person and feeling like we can have a real conversation. But I ended up figuring out like Zoom for the first time and I had a lovely interview with Dylan Magaster, who has been all over the world. I mean, like, legitimate world traveler. He's done it in all of these different ways. He backpacked all over the place, which you'll hear all about. He lived in a van for a few years. And so we will hear how his experiences were in the van, how he found van life, all of that kind of stuff. And now he has lived on a sailboat for a couple of years, which is still in the realm of van life, actually, in terms of like websites and finding information. A lot of people kind of lump all of these ways of traveling together, like buses, vans, sailboats, that kind of stuff. So he's gonna talk all about living in a sailboat as well. And something that we touch on quite a bit is the fact that he does YouTube for a living. And the way in which he has done YouTube is fascinating to me. I think a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions on the simplicity of doing YouTube or I don't know how long it takes to make money and all of that kind of stuff. And he definitely has a really realistic perspective on that, obviously, because he's done it. And yeah, he just is a wealth of knowledge, someone that you can learn so much from. And like one of those people that you just want to like get a beer with and listen to a thousand stories that he has from traveling the world. So hopefully that can be today's episode for you just kind of sitting down with him and hearing all these different stories of things that have happened and just the different ways of that he's traveled and and all kinds of stuff like that. So grab your drink and let's listen to Dylan share this insane amount of knowledge with us all about travel and YouTube and sailboats and van life and a bunch of other stuff. So I will see you back here in a second. All right, so before we meet Dylan officially, I do want to go over better help. You guys know how much I love better help. I recently posted about feeling like I was kind of regressing through everything going on right now. I kind of stopped doing self-care. I was giving myself these excuses that like while I'm with friends and while all this is happening, I can eat unhealthy and I can be unhealthy and I can drink more alcohol than usual. So in doing so, you know, even just going to my therapist once a week and having that video call has helped tremendously. But she's kind of really getting me back on track and... Every week we are working in one more thing that could be considered self-care. So this week it was making sure I'm doing yoga once a day, even if it's for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. And last week it was journaling, like make sure that you're writing every day because that's something that's important to you. And so just having someone to hold me accountable and knowing that I'm gonna have to tell her next week if I was doing it or not, I do feel more of a sense like I need to get this done so I don't have to lie and I can just, I can tell her, no, I really did do this every single week or every single day the way that you have, you know, kind of instructed me to or told me to. So yeah, that's definitely been helping me quite a bit. And if you are struggling right now, or you just need someone to talk to, I definitely recommend BetterHelp. You can get 10% off your first month by using betterhelp.com slash divine and then using the code divine once you go through the checkout process as well. So I hope that works for you. I've gotten a lot of messages from you about how much you love BetterHelp and how much it's already helped you. And so I hope that more and more of you continue to use that as a place to have someone to talk to and to get through some difficult times because I have been doing that recently as well. So betterhelp.com divine and use code divine. Thank you. Well, so we are here with Dylan McGaster. First of all, I've been hearing your name since long before I ever even lived in the van. Like when you start doing research into van life, I feel like, yeah, you're kind of one of those like OG names that was long before many people who are now like you see on social media and stuff. You've kind of been in the community for a while. So now you live on a boat. And I would love for you just to give a quick introduction of who you are, how you found van life, when you transitioned to living on a boat. And I noticed a minute ago before we started recording, you said we are on the boat. So I would also love to know who you're referring to.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I've been traveling full time now for over four years, coming up on four and a half years. Um, what year is it? 2020. So it would have been January 18th of 2015 uh-huh. that I, uh, no, 16th. I don't know. doesn't matter to the January 18th <laughs> is when I started traveling and, uh, went down to South America, did, three months in South America just out of a backpack and then came back to America. And they did three months in America out of a backpack, kind of like one month was in New York City in a shared home. That was ridiculous. It was like a three bedroom (laughs) apartment with like 12 people in it in Brooklyn. Wow, Yeah, that was intense. And then um, so after about six months of living out of a backpack, I moved into a van. I bought a van. And the first month or so, I didn't have anything in the van, but it was literally just a mattress and a cooler. And so, I drove that back to Kansas City where I grew up and converted that in about a month and then started traveling in that and lived in that for almost two years and traveled a lot of the west coast of America up into Canada and to British Columbia and then all the way down to Baja, all the way down to uh, Cabo and Baja, Mexico and then back up to America. And then after that, I, yeah, I moved to the Mediterranean and bought a sailboat. And so now I've been living on a sailboat for May 6th was my two year anniversary. And so right now it's me and Jackson Peters on the sailboat. So he is one of the shooters for the YouTube channel for Floor. And um, yeah, I met Jackson when we first, when we first came out to the Mediterranean, Jackson was one of the uh, two other people that, so, there's three of us total that came out to the Mediterranean, me, Tara Ware, and Jackson Peters. And um, yeah, Jackson was out for like four months for the first time and then went back to Canada to finish his degree in filmmaking and then uh, traveled around the US filming um, in a van. He had, he'd converted a van and then traveled in the US and was filming for the channel. And then he came back out a couple months ago. And so, now him and I are quarantined in Tunisia.
0: Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you that as well. Um, first of all, thank you for the introduction. That was phenomenal. What is quarantine? Where are you? I know I just asked, but I would love for them to know. That's It's insane.
1: Yeah. So I'm currently in Monastir, Tunisia. And Tunisia is in Northern Africa. It's just east of Algeria, just west of Libya and just west of Malta. So I sailed to Tunisia from Malta and to Malta from Greece. Yeah. So we've been here uh, a couple months and we we took the boat out of the water to do some reparations on the boat. And then, yeah, everything got shut down. So we've been living on the sailboat on land for like two months.
0: Yeah, what has that been like, especially being with someone?
1: Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, the most annoying thing is that we can't use the toilet on the boat because it's not in the water uh-huh. like we're up in the air but other than that i mean we've got unlimited water and unlimited e- electricity and actual showers we have to walk to them but they're actual showers right but yeah it's been fine i mean it, it's just been a lot of work a lot of editing a lot of boat work i mean luckily we've been able to stay busy the whole time so that's that's been a huge benefit uh-huh. it would been it would would have been really difficult if we didn't have things to be doing right now but we do
0: right Right. What is COVID-19 like in Tunisia, just in general, if you didn't live on a boat? Or is it like fairly strict?
1: Yeah. So there's not a whole lot of cases in this country. And it's, I mean, technically uh, it's like strict lockdown, but I mean, people kind of obey it and people are still out and about. Mm -hmm. And it's really weird because like you go into town and there's people like all throughout town or all the cafes and stuff are closed but different shops are open and there's traffic now and everything but for a while there it was pretty much closed down but people would still come out by the boat and go fishing like every single day there's (laughs) there's this one fisherman that i see him every single day and i'm just like hey man (laughs) and I, i don't know if they just don't have enough police to enforce it or if they don't actually like care that much or whatnot but i mean i we see herds of people out so it's not too strict right but the main thing is like you're not allowed to travel within Tunisia, right? So you're not allowed to go to like to the different states, I think they call them regions here, which for us is unfortunate because it's like, oh, if we're stuck here, let's just rent a car and we'll go out to the desert and go see some cool things in Tunisia. It's like, no, we're actually stuck in the uh. marina unless we want to go get food from the grocery store. Right. So yeah, it's not that bad though. It is like technically full lockdown and it's been slowly lifting, but right now it's Ramadan and so... It's, they're not like in any hurry to really lift things because cafes and restaurants aren't really open that much during Ramadan because they can't eat during the daylight. Uh So, yeah, it's not too bad.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. The United States is fairly similar right now. I feel like, you know, there's still a lot of lockdowns, but you can tell every day there's like a little more traffic, a little bit more people. Everybody's kind of starting, like, even myself, honestly, I quarantined in Joshua Tree for the first month and then as things starting to lighten up a little bit, I was like, okay, I can just, I I need to be a little bit kinder to myself and like let myself move a little because Mm -hmm. I was being so strict. And then I just crossed the state lines into Oregon. Eventually I was like, I'm, I'm going into town and seeing less people than most anyways. Like I'm primarily on BLM. I don't really see anyone maybe once in a while if I have to go to the grocery store, but that's pretty much it. So I feel like if, if I can travel and stay on those public lands and
1: yeah. Did you notice a big difference between California and Oregon?
0: Um Well, so I've only been in Oregon for probably two days and I came straight to the Airbnb. So uh, once I get out a little bit, I, I probably will be able to see a little bit more. I mean, I have friends in Oregon that are in like the public land and like the Bend area. And they told me to come up immediately. immediately. They were just like, why are you in California? Everything. It, California was just like the epicenter in the United States kind of mm. for... Not necessarily – like, there was a lot of cases in California, but just, like, the chaos. Like, it was just Mm -hmm. so chaotic. Every time you would go into town, you were not allowed in public without a mask and gloves. And, like, they had security at the door of every grocery store and stuff like that, which is obviously a good thing. Like, Mm -hmm. we should all be doing that. But it definitely makes – obviously everyone's like stress levels go up. And so you can just, everyone was always on edge, like everybody in the grocery stores or in the parking lots or was just angry. And I don't know, just, yeah, I had so much anxiety every time I went into town. So hopefully Oregon is a little bit better, but back to you (laughs) kind of going back to the origin of your traveling. I would love to know what was like your biggest inspiration, I guess, like growing up, were you Did you travel a lot or did you just always know? Because, like, I didn't travel at all. I'm from the Midwest. And so I think, like, mostly my inspiration came from the fact that I never traveled and, like, Mm -hmm. seeing stuff on TV.
1: Where in the Midwest did you grow up?
0: Indianapolis, Indiana. Indianapolis.
1: Okay, because I'm from Kansas City. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, technically Olathe, Kansas, but nobody knows where Olathe is. Everybody knows where Kansas City is. Yeah. And it's 40 (laughs) minutes away. (laughs) Let's see. Before I started traveling on my own four years ago, I had... Been to Europe once and been to Central America a few different times. And then growing up, we had taken a couple family cruises just like through the Caribbean type of thing. And so I'd been to some of those islands and countries down there, but that was all very... I don't even know how you describe it. It's like cruise traveling is way different than traveling. Oh, yeah. So we had a couple of those growing up. But my two biggest like travel experience, well, I guess three. One was I went up to Canada to go fishing with kind of like my surrogate grandfather. And so that was like 10 days or something like that. And it was I was the youngest person there by like 40 years or something like that. Yeah, (laughs) And so, it was just a group of fishermen that took their boats up to some lakes in Canada. And then we just spent every single day fishing. And then I turned 13 in Holland. And that was uh, my sister got, she was in, I think it was like the Heart to Heart Foundation is what it was called. And so, she was playing soccer in Europe. And so, they had some competition there. And so, my mother and I went to see, watch her play soccer. And so that was like a week in Holland. And I actually turned 13 there. And then I'd been to Honduras like three different times um, for missionary work with uh, oh, nice. with the church. And so other than that, it was just like throughout the States, been to Florida a few different times. So there, I had a decent amount of traveling growing up, but nothing crazy. But the main thing was basically the internet, seeing how big the world is from the internet and how different, it is, and just the fact that we have the opportunity to be able to travel—you know—we have an opportunity that really was not possible a hundred years ago. Like, if if somebody a right. hundred years ago wanted to travel the world, it was a very difficult thing to do but now it's everything is so accessible and so that there's that aspect of it and then learning about people making money online it was like okay yeah so this is actually doable but then yeah then growing up in kansas city where there's i mean they've got a decent amount of culture especially around food and um, they've got a good music scene but there's nothing really to do outdoors in kansas city and so that was Uh one of the big drives to travel was like um, we had taken quite a few trips to Colorado because my parents used to live in Colorado. Both my siblings were born in Colorado. And so that was kind of like a driver of just wanting yeah. to experience different landscapes, I guess, in different cultures. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Indiana was the exact same way. You mentioned obviously like the internet, obviously that like made everything so much more accessible. And I do feel like you kind of were involved in van life before it really blew up. Like van Mm -hmm. life specifically, like I think travel has been shown on the internet quite a bit, um, especially even on TV. Mm -hmm. But van life, it was really blown up the last like two years and you lived in a van prior to that. Yeah. So did you see people on the internet living in vans? How did you discover that?
1: No. So yeah, the internet was definitely my exposure to traveling, like my gateway. Mm -hmm. But then for... Van life. Oh, yeah. So I think my first exposure with it was this guy named Alex that I met in Chile. And he was at the time like 43 or something like that. And he had converted a sprinter, the 177 long wheelbase sprinter decked it out like really, Uh yeah, really like tricked it out and drove it from Albuquerque, New Mexico, all the way down to Chile and he had gone all the way down to Tierra del Fuego and had come back and was on his way back up to America. And so, I met him in Pucon, Chile and yeah, at the time, I was like taking photos of hostels and taking video of this hostel so for trade for stay. So, I actually stayed at this, this one hostel in Pucon for like a month and uh, the owner of the hostel, we became like pretty good friends and he was like, hey, you got to come check out this guy. This is my friend Alex. You need to see his van. It's awesome. So I go outside. And I'm looking at his van, and like we're talking and whatnot. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm gonna go over to Argentina, and we're gonna I'm gonna climb this this volcano, Yima. Then there's another one, El Tronador, that he really wanted to climb. And I was like, "Hey, man, I like like climbing mountains and stuff. And so, <laughs> I I went with him in his van, and we we drove to Argentina across the border, went and climbed this volcano, and then picked up another dude. And it, then we drove back to the hostel and then we picked up this guy named Spencer. And then the three of us drove to El Tronador and went to climb that, didn't summit it, came back down. And then they were both really into fly fishing. And so they wanted to go fly fishing. And I was like, yeah, I'm not really into fly fishing. And it's kind of cramped in this van. So I hitchhiked back to, Chil- to oh. Chile, back to Pucón, And so that was my first introduction into van life. And then when I came back to America, I was in I was in Massachusetts and I was working on a fishing boat. Then I was up in New Hampshire with the family of the fishing boat that I was working on. And I was like, well, I'm not done traveling, but I'm broke. I don't want to live out of a backpack anymore. I'm pretty done with that after six months. And so I was like, well, what can I do? And So I started cruising Craigslist for vans and picked up a van for two grand. And I was like, yeah, I could definitely live out of this. And then I joined the Van Dweller subreddit. And at the time it had like, I think it was at like 30,000. Now it's like over half a million. I think it's huge now. Um, But at the time it was like 30,000 and just learned a lot. I don't know exactly. I'm not like super active on the subreddit anymore, but at the time it was like very personable um, between people. And so learned a lot from that. And then, like I said, I lived in the van for about a month before I got back to Kansas and built it out. But it was basically just necessity. It wasn't, I mean... At that time, there was, on Instagram, there was, you know, the real OGs of, like, where's my office in Idle Theory Bus. Uh-huh. Like, those were the only two that I really, I don't even know, I think I came across them after I was, was in the van. So, van life on Instagram was not a thing at the time, but it was just, I know I'm not done traveling, but I'm broke and I don't want to live out of a backpack. I just made 1800 bucks working on this fishing boat. So I'm going to borrow a little bit of money from my mother and I'm going to buy a van. And then when I went to convert the van, I just put all of that on credit cards, which yeah, that's that's not advice, but that's how I did it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that's important though. Not even, not the credit card part, but just be like, <laughs> Because admittedly, like, I know that I have a nice van. I know I poured, I mean, I worked full-time because it was on social media. And so I had a while to be like, okay, this is a thing I want to work towards. And so I worked full-time for a long time to be able to pay for it. But when you do only see my van and these other vans that look fancy and whatever, like people really do view it as like so unattainable. People don't want to pour thousands and thousands of dollars into a van or like let alone the build. And so, I mean, I've always said... Like, traveling is at the core of why I do what I do. Right. And so if I did need to throw a mattress and a cooler into a van that I find for $2,000, like, I would do that in a heartbeat. I don't need all, all of these, like, 12-volt things and, like, a fridge and, like, I don't know, all of this fanciness. Like, there's so much storage and whatever. So I do think it's important for a lot of people to know that if travel is at the core of what you're trying to do, there, you don't need any like large amount of money. You don't have to work for years if you're miserable, because that's, I think what a lot of people share with me is that they're so unhappy and they don't want to wait five years to find happiness. And like, they think that travel would give them that. And so I am always trying to share with people like, which I'm just not a good example because I can't be like, throw a mattress in a cooler in a van <laughs> because they will. Lo- and they're like, what are you talking about? I- Your van doesn't look like that. Yeah. And so I do, I, I love the fact that you are so passionate about traveling and you're just going like, you're, I'm going to make it work regardless. Like I'm going to throw whatever I need to sleep and eat into my van and like, just fucking do it, you know?
1: Yeah, that's definitely how it was. And yeah, I, I made a video a while back. Uh, it was like the reveal of my van or something like that. I really like kept it offline for a while until it hit a hundred thousand subscribers and put it out because I knew it was like, Was real good thumbnail (laughs) because I, I, my my whole floor was a map. I was like, yeah, that's that's definitely gonna work. But gotta wait till I get some traction first. Yeah, and so, (laughs) but in that video, I talk about how like you know on Instagram, there's all these different lifestyles, like sectors that you can get into of like fetishizing the rich and famous and like mansions and sports cars Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, and and travel and. Uh, luxury travel and and then there's also like budget travel, but then there's like the van life sector of it, which is very glamorized. And it's like out of all of those, that's the most accessible because you really don't need Uh that much money to get into. And depending on what your skills are, you can pretty easily convert that into some sort of work on the road if you need to, or you just save up some money and then you just live cheaply because in a van, it's not very difficult to not to have low costs, right. you
0: know? Yeah, that's another thing people don't really understand. They think that it would be so expensive to be living on the road. And I'm like, coming from a person who I went to school in Chicago after moving from Indiana, and like, that's expensive. Yeah. Like paying rent in Chicago, eating in Chicago, and now like living in a van, I'm like, I can sit on public land for two weeks and literally not spend $1. Yeah. Like I pull up to public land with groceries in the fridge, and I'm, I, I'm not spending money for as long as possible simply because like I'm out hiking, I'm with my dogs, I'm doing whatever. And yeah, so it is, it's and
1: even if that was more expensive, just to be able to go out to public land or be somewhere in nature and live for a week or two weeks, self-sufficient and be able to do, you know, whatever you want. And if you've got some creative abilities do some creative work alongside that and then live in nature it's like people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars millions of dollars to have a house in nature and it's like no you can actually do this for cheaper than living in a city and then you can go back to the city if you want to and still live in the city it's like it's really the best of
0: no it is ever (laughs) yeah i think it's just yeah, it's funny because I do think social media is like the biggest reason that people have that perception because th- it just looks a certain way. Um, but yeah, like I've parked along, I mean, back when a couple years ago, you could park along the one, um, up the coast and I was parking next to these like giant multi-million dollar homes yeah. on like overlooking the coast. And I am just like pulling up in my van, parking there for two days yeah. for free, like with the same view, the same hike down to the water. And it was just like, it, I always, yeah, I've, I've always tried to share that side of things because I'm like, no, this is the cheapest possible way of I get to experience Wyoming. I can go to Jackson, Wyoming, where yeah. real estate is ex- like so expensive. Two weeks later, I can be on the coast of California, where it's also very expensive. Then I can go, you know, down south. I could go to Mexico. I can go to Canada, and so yeah, it's kind of for me, I guess. Two people who have lived in vans, I, it's the best of all of the world. But I mean, I understand not everybody wants to live in a van.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it is so good, though, because you do get that like prime real estate, you know, beachfront housing, forest front housing. But then it's not you just spent, you know, half a million dollars to get your beachfront housing and then you're stuck with that for The rest of your life, it's like, oh, I'm going to go do that for a week. And now I'm going to go park outside of a hot spring and just like have a hot spring house front. And so, yeah, it's it's so good. It is so good.
0: Yeah, I think you do have to have a a certain kind of mind to for to even really want that because like I have a sister and her dream in life since we were kids was I want to be a nurse. I want to be a mother and a Mm -hmm. wife. I want a house that's 15 minutes away from my parents. And I always just had this mindset of like, that is, it just love that for you. But like, sounds horrible for me. Yeah. So I know that there are, there are a lot of people who, yeah, they just enjoy, I guess, a more stationary life, which is interesting. Yeah. People
1: are different. Yeah. Like people are definitely different, different. And, uh, yeah, what well, works for one person does not work for everybody. But yeah, for people like you and me, I mean, it is perfect. And like, you know, the, this is the thing that people fall into with Instagram is they think it's like absolutely perfect and they get into it and they're like, oh, there's actually some like downsides to living in a van. And you're like, yeah, you live in a van. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. <laughs> it it yeah. seems like I so mean, do... obvious that downsides would come with it. But yes, but the, the benefits that you get of being 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 mobile and just all the benefits that come with fan life for me and for you, obviously clearly outweigh any of the downsides, any of the negatives that come along with it.
0: Right. It, it is funny that you say that because I say this, I say similar stuff all the time. Like to me, if I post a picture, which I, I try and be as real as possible. I have a website where I say all this. I have the podcast where I say everything, but like if I post a photo, because the thing is the realities of fan life are also those like insanely beautiful moments. And so if I post that to me, I'm like, okay, as an adult looking at that photo, like, you shouldn't, ha- you shouldn't be perceiving that as like my life being completely perfect. Like, I talk a lot about the problems yeah. that it is as well. So it is interesting when people, they'll, they'll rent a van or they move into something and stuff starts breaking down. Your van breaks down. You get into a car accident even or like anything can happen. And suddenly, like, that whole life kind of disappears. And it's something that they're never anticipating or like not disappears, mm. but. You know, like a huge problem arises. And a lot of people have had to move out of vans, at least that I know of, because something happens and like, they just have no backup plan whatsoever. Um, And so it is interesting that like, I mean, because it is as glamorized as it is, I don't think that they think of all of the problems that could arise that for me seem quite obvious. Okay. But I brought up my family a little bit. I would just like to know, like, so you said you're from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Do you have family there still?
1: Yeah. So, my brother moved to denver but then the rest of my family still lives in the kansas city area some of them live up in like missouri now they've crossed the border but um yeah they're yeah. all in the same area within an hour drive of each other yeah my sister's marriage has kids and my brother's um yeah he's in denver and doing his thing and then my parents are well grandparents now and yeah yeah
0: So, uh, how did you tell them originally? So, you were traveling out of a backpack before even moving into a van. Yeah. Yeah, what was their reaction when you first wanted to start backpacking versus in a van versus in a boat? I'm guessing by the time you moved into the boat, they were like, yeah, it makes sense.
1: The boat one is so much easier to sell because people are like, "Ah, boat, that's cool. (laughs) And now with vans. Really? I see. They're definitely more like that with vans. I'm just surprised
0: (laughs) because as a family... I could just picture my my parents being, like, uh, you're not going out on, like, the open sea because I just feel like that I, it has to be somewhat more, uh, more difficult yeah. and more dangerous to yeah. be, like, in the middle of an ocean between countries <laughs> yeah. versus, like, at least on the road, you're on the ground. Yeah. You know, like, if something happens, I can pull off onto the side of the road. I just feel like in the boat, it would be much harder.
1: <laughs> really harder. But yeah. it's... It's really great. I like it a lot. But yeah, I mean, when it when it came to traveling, my mother definitely got it. When she was 18, she left where she grew up and she started traveling the country. She worked for Kinder Photo and was taking like portraits of kids. And so, she was able to travel around the country doing that. And so, you know, she left home when she was 18 and did a decent amount of traveling and has been more of the like, pushing traveling growing up she was kind of more the force behind that and then my dad was just pretty cool with it like I've never really gotten a whole lot of pushback from any of my family doing really kind of any of the things that I've done and that's I think that's partly because yeah. I've been kind of all over the place since growing up I was just talking yeah I was talking to <laughs> my mom the other day and it's like in high school it was um I started with aerospace engineering, dropped that, then was in band and did drumline and then um dropped that and then was in a culinary program, went to nationals, then dropped that and then started filmmaking and YouTube. That was after high school, but also in high school did wrestling for like two years and then dropped a year, two years, dropped that. And so opposed to like my sister, she played soccer and that was like what she did. Um, And my brother was like into engineering and robotics. I was just like bang, bang all over the place. And so when it came to traveling, I don't think it was necessarily that big of a surprise. And also before I started traveling full time, I didn't mention this, but um, the year before that, I had saved up some money and um, I bought a Prius. I bought a totaled Prius that had been like, it was like a salvage title. And I started driving that around America. And so my goal was to do like one road trip every month type of thing. And so the first one was like uh-huh. down to Arkansas. And then um no, I, th- I think the very first one was down to Taos, New Mexico, which is quite a long drive from Kansas City. And I actually made the drive back in one go. It's the longest drive I've ever done oh, it was wow. like eleven hours straight. But yeah, so I started Taos
0: is one of my favorite places. Oh, Taos
1: is great. Taos is really great. It is it's amazing. weird. Uh, I like it a lot.
0: Yeah, especially for like camping, backpacking, like van life and stuff. Like if I could park up in Taos, it is, like it is beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Taos is really good. Um, I think that's where George R.R. R. Martin lives. But yeah, that one's a cool spot. And then, yeah, I went down there to go like snowboarding at, I don't know, one of the ski resorts down there. I literally just drove down there for like two days and then drove back to Kansas City by myself. I had somebody that was oh. going to go with me and then something happened and they couldn't go. And I was like, okay, I'm still going to go. So then after that, I did like another road trip to Colorado. And then um, me and some friends, we drove to New York City for a week. And then in like, May, so this was the year before I started traveling full time, I, I did like six weeks around the West Coast drove to from Kansas City down through Well, crossed through Colorado, down through Moab to LA, spent a little bit of time in LA, drove all the way up to Seattle and then back to Kansas in six weeks, which like when I was planning, I was like, this Uh is plenty of time. And now it's like, that is so crazy. (laughs) I drove so much during that six weeks. Um, But I had to get back. I think I had to get back for my sister's wedding or so it was either my sister's wedding or I had to film a wedding. I don't remember. And then, no, it must've been, I had to film a wedding because her, her wedding was in the, is in the fall. I think. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody got married. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I was filming weddings at the time, um, which is good money. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'd already been like traveling a decent amount and then I sold the Prius and then I had moved to New York City for three months. I lived in New York City for three months and then I moved back to Kansas City and then I was only in Kansas City for like a month and a half or two months before I went down to South America so I was already like moving a lot
0: right yeah do you remember how the conversation initially went when you were like told your parents that you just wanted to travel and come like leave like leave leave I mean because you're talking about hitchhiking in another country yeah. back to where you had been which I mean obviously like the pre like you were traveling quite a bit before any of that but like I do. I mean, what were your parents' reaction? That is a giant leap from driving around in a Prius and kind of uh, having a home base, I guess, and then leaving and like being gone. Yeah,
1: I don't (laughs) like. I don't remember exactly, but I don't think it was a conversation. I think it was more just like this is (laughs) this is what I'm doing.
0: I wish I would have been more like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, my my parents had like split up like a year before or a year and a, maybe two years before I started traveling. And so, yeah, I was just like working at a country club doing this like chef's apprenticeship program. Actually, there was a conversation I had with my mother. I remember now because the, the conversation was about dropping out of community college and pursuing mm-hmm. YouTube rather than traveling and she was like you just need to you know at least get a bachelor's blah 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 and i was like yeah except i don't want to do that like at all it's like soul killing to me (laughs) um and so i had a conversation with her i was like listen if i'm not like doing okay by 25 then i'll go back to school That was the conversation that I had with her. And that was the deal I made with her. And she was like, by the time you're 25, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) But that was like, okay, just so you know, I didn't sign up for any classes next semester. And this is what I'm going to do. And this is like my offer. If I'm not making money by 25, I'll go back to school, take it or leave it. Doesn't actually matter because this is what I'm doing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How old were you when you made that offer or like, you know? Yeah. So
1: that would have been 20 I think
0: okay yeah, that's a solid five years yeah to give yourself yeah I um, okay I could so make to go into youtube then. then right yeah i mean that's that's a decent amount of time i think most people i mean yeah in five years i feel like you'll know whether or not you're going to be making an income online or not
1: yeah in five years is okay, actually like how did a you... long time to figure stuff out um like at that age i was like 25 yeah. it'll be like i'll be 25 in no time but it's like oh you can do a lot of stuff in five years <laughs>
0: Yeah, I will say I remember going into college though at 18, which I didn't want to do either, but my parents were a little bit more like, um, you have no choice. Yeah. Um, and I, when I went into college, I was like, oh my God, when I graduate at 22, I'm going to be making so much money doing whatever it mm-hmm. is I'm going to be doing. But like 22 just sounds so successful. And then I graduated at 22 and I was like, what the <laughs> hell am I doing? Like, <laughs> I'm doing nothing the same way I was at 18. Yeah. But then I, and like, that's roughly the time I found van life.
1: Do you have like siblings? Um, are you the oldest or the youngest?
0: I'm the baby. So I only have one sister, but she is almost four years older than me. Okay, And it was always like her and I are just polar opposite people. Um, so it was... It was honestly a nice relationship growing up because I didn't understand what she wanted and like she didn't understand what I wanted out of life. But like we were just kind of like, I support you. I mm. support you. <laughs> like at least we're not shooting for entirely the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so it was always just like I kind of get to live that more like stationary, s- typical life uh, when I'm back at home and I'm visiting her and stuff. And then she can kind of live vicariously with any like traveling and stuff like that through mm. me. So that's good. We can kind of give each other that a little yeah, bit because
1: I'm the youngest of three. And so, like the way that worked out for me was like, by the time the first two went through, it was like I could kind of do whatever I wanted. <laughs> they were they were right. kind of like yeah. done. <laughs> like I, I I was driving <laughs> yeah, the playing, youngest. Just leave, please. the phone at the youngest, and yeah, like in high school, it was basically you know, like the my siblings, they had like curfews and whatnot. And mine was basically, hey, just wake us up when you get home. Like you can s- kind of stay out uh-huh. as long as... And so, I already had like a pretty independent relationship from my parents by the time I was in high school.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that probably helped. Yeah, a lot. I mean, mine was similar, but I do feel like because I was the baby, my parents were more like, please, <laughs> just like, I don't know. They were a little bit more strict. They were always, like, worried. Mm. Yeah, my sister being older, yeah, I feel like she actually, she probably got a little bit more leniency, but you're right. There was, I've always had a theory that, like, because she was older, she felt more maternal at a young age. Mm. Like, she had this baby sister she had to take care of. And because I never had that feeling, I just, like, naturally was always more independent. Mm -hmm. Like, I just never had a feeling of taking care of a little sibling, even from just, like, an extremely young age. And so, yeah, I just always was kind of, like, the rebellious Like, I'm going to kind of go do anything. But yeah, my parents were probably a little bit more strict with me, if anything. Mm. I don't know. But I would love... Okay, so you wanted to do YouTube. You were already into filmmaking. I would love to talk about remote income. I try and share as much as possible about how to earn a remote Mm -hmm. income. And I think that, like... I I mean, I've been saying I was going to start YouTube now for... Since the day I moved into my first fan. (laughs) Hasn't happened. (laughs) Uh, It's it's a lot of work. I know you know that. And so, yeah, I would love to know how... Because the, also a handful of years ago, it wasn't as known that you could earn a full income off of YouTube right. or even how you were going to earn a full income off of YouTube. So how did you, like, what made you so confident that that was going to be the avenue that would get you to where you want it to be
1: yeah so i didn't really get into filmmaking until i basically you know there's a lot of people on youtube that are like yeah i just started a channel and then like now i'm making money from it and i never expected that and i every time i see that i'm like you (laughs) unless you started in 2008 you're a liar (laughs) like you knew that there Uh was the potential to make money otherwise you wouldn't have stuck with it because it's so hard right so but but the people that started back before you you know they started monetization 2011 i think or 12 Um, the people that started before that that's legitimate but for me (laughs) i i really got into youtube in like 2013 growing up i had friends that like were obsessed with youtube like old school youtube And I had a friend that um, had a few like viral videos back in like 2010 or something like that, like 300 thousand views type of Uh thing. And so I I had like been slightly exposed to it, but I never like got into it as far as like using the platform. And then it was pretty much the same year I graduated high school. I started to like really get into YouTube, and I don't remember exactly who I was watching consistently, um, but there was a few different guys, and then. I don't know how how I learned that people were making money off of YouTube, but I did. And um, so, then I was like, oh, yeah, I really want to do that. How can I do that? Like, what what do I need to do? And so, I think I was watching like comedy sketch stuff because in 2015, November 2015 is when I started like working on a YouTube channel and I started with like those old school Terrible challenge videos of like eating horrific things and Habanero peppers and all that <laughs> kind of yeah. Stuff. yeah, I started with that, and then um, was like, this is so dumb, what am I doing? and then I switched to making like really bad comedy sketch videos, um just me and a friend, and then after that, I was like the the guy that I was making the the videos with he wasn't like all in to youtube and but I was, and so it was like, okay. I can't be like working with this guy because he's like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do type of thing. I was like, no, this is what Uh I'm doing. And so, then it was like, okay, well, what can I make by myself while traveling? Because I knew I wanted to travel and I was like, oh, I could probably make some sort of like travel videos or something like that. So, then I got on the internet and I was like, travel YouTubers, and I had not even come across travel vloggers before that. And then I came across, you know, yeah. the uh, the OGs of uh, Fun for Louie and Mr. Ben Brown. And um, I saw uh-huh. them doing it and I was like, oh, if they're doing it, I could definitely do it. Like, there's no way they're yeah. like leagues above me in intelligence, like we're at least on the same playing field. And so a lot of people look at things that people have already done and they're like, oh, they did it. I can't do it because it's already done. But to me, I saw that and I was like, oh, yeah, I could definitely do that Uh because it's like the road's already been paved. It's totally possible. So then
0: yeah. No, that's a, that's an important mindset. I actually love that you say that because that's another thing that I am constantly telling people, like stop looking at things and thinking that like even blogging, because like, I didn't know how to have a blog. I didn't know what that was. I liked to write, but that's all I knew. And if I would have thought that it was way too oversaturated, I wouldn't have made a income for the first right. year and a half of me being on the road. Like, it's so important to see other people doing something as a like Obviously, you can do it as well. Like, I'm no more special than you. You're no special like than me. Like, we, if, yeah, if somebody is doing something, of course you can yeah. do it. And I think a lot of people do look at it and they're just like, oh, so many people are already doing it. Even if they think it's attainable, they think it's oversaturated and there's no room for another person. Well, that's when, the thing. Like,
1: like, people are telling me YouTube was oversaturated when I started in 2015. And it's like... Now people are like, oh my god, it's so like you started at the perfect time. I'm like people were, it's like people always tell you that kind of stuff, and it's like if you talk to people, they will always tell you reasons why you should not do something. It's like there uh-huh. is no shortage of reasons why you shouldn't do something. Everybody's got a reason, right? But it's just about like I don't know how much you want it and how how much you are willing to put into it and how much time and effort, and then how aware you are because. I had to go through like five different YouTube channels basically before I landed on one that actually worked. And it took me two and a half years before I started breaking even. Um, And I went $17,000 into debt in order to do it. And so it wasn't easy and it was not quick by any means. Yes, I I went $17,000 into debt on credit cards while traveling and working on the YouTube channel. And I had done the... The challenge videos and then the comedy sketch videos and then did a travel vlog. And then um, at one point, this one only lasted a week. I did a, are you familiar with Philip DeFranco on YouTube? He does um, news. Oh, yeah, yes. for, So I basically like copied his format, except only did news on like tech and environmental stuff. And I did that for like a week and was like, this is way too much work. Because I was like, yeah. I would wake up, I'd research film the video, edit the video, post it, which is how he does his show, but he's Uh got a whole team that I was like, this is, no, this is going to kill me. So I stopped that, but then landed on the alternative living spaces, the tiny house tours and stuff like that. When I was up in, this was like right at the same time I bought my van that I landed on this format, Uh which did not work for another six months, basically, but- as soon as I started posting videos on, oh, I also did a lot of abandoned exploration stuff of like abandoned buildings and um, stuff like that. Um,
0: Was there one video that like,
1: yeah, that like took like off? Like
0: you were getting like the, uh- Yeah, like if you were having kind of like a plateau of views, like the same kind of viewers and everything. And then was there like one video that you posted and that video took off and then like you saw more potential? For the
1: first two years, it took me about two years to get to, I don't know how many subscribers, but I was getting a thousand views a day, like pretty consistently. But it took two years Uh and I I was looking at that growth. I was like, this is crazy. I know that I need at least 25,000 views a day for me to live on my own in a van type of thing. Uh And so I was like, this is not going to work. And so then I I posted my first like tiny house tour video type of thing, short documentary. And I saw it immediately go from 1,000 views a day to 3,000 views a day. I was like, that's a difference. That's a big difference. I cannot live off of that by any means, but that's a significant change. And so I just kept doing it. And then it was like a slow growth until December. And then... That was in like August that I posted that video. And then in, D- in January, I posted a video on Alex, Alex um, Umpke, Uncle Umpke, a girl in her van, I think is what her Instagram handle is. And uh-huh. that was like the first video that took off and that got like, I think, 300,000 views in a month. And then that made that January the first month that I had made a thousand bucks. And I was like, I can live off of a thousand bucks. That's awesome. Yeah, And which is, it's it's pretty cool that like in a van, you can actually live off of a thousand dollars a month right? if you're willing to like suffer some. And so <laughs> then I just kept doing it and it kept building and then, yeah, and then it just kept growing. And then I'd like had a few different waves and then, yeah, I had like a, a real nice wave that spring of growth that was quite substantial. And so I think by the time I posted that video on Alex, I had like 20, 20 something thousand subscribers or something like that. And then it shot up uh-huh. to like 60,000 within like a month or two months. And then I was over a hundred thousand real soon after that. And now the channel's at 600 something thousand. So yeah. yeah, it took a long time. Yeah. Though. Was, it was that so
0: at the very beginning, this was on Florb. That was like Yeah, so was that always the channel that was
1: it, it was self-titled at the time, so it was just Dylan McGaster. But then mm-hmm. looking at like how I wanted to take the channel and the direction in the company in the future, I was like, it's better for it to be a brand of its own rather than being self-titled. And so I changed the name to Floor. And basically nobody supported that idea. I was like, no, this is a good idea. <laughs> and so now I've we actually started up a second channel like a couple months ago which is now self-titled as well so um that url for the first channel is like youtube.com forward slash dylan mcgaster and then the new one is dylan mcgaster two with the number two at the end um uh-huh. and so that one's now si- self-titled and that one's just about like traveling and sailing and stuff like that um and adventures and whatnot. And then Florb, the main channel is all like alternative living spaces, different ecological projects and stuff like that, short documentaries. Um, And we've got a team now that works on that. And so, yeah, it did not start out as Florb. It started out as Dylan McGaster. And then two and a half or three years ago, I changed the name to Florb, which by the way, yeah. Florb is a contraction of the two words floating orb because we live on a floating orb, oh. which is crazy. And so if you smash it, you get floor Yeah. So.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you where you came up with that name. So that's interesting. I like that. Um, yeah. What do you think your biggest... Ad- oh, no. You- oh, I was just
1: going to say, I I spent like a lot of time like, oh, what am I going to name this brand that I'm going to start? And it, it just lots of different things came to mind. and Nothing ever stuck. And then I like somehow i thought of the word floor but i was like that's it it's one syllable it's not a <laughs> word it's funny to say it sounds it's like memorable because it's not a word um right yeah so then it was like that's it and so i changed it and yeah. people are like what are you doing
0: yeah what is yeah. this now though i think long term it probably was a good decision yeah, yeah cuz now people like there's everyone's going to remember that Okay. What what do you think your biggest advice would be to someone who's trying to start YouTube in the travel field and maybe not like specifically van or boat, um, but whatever the case may be for them? Like, what do you think is like either your biggest takeaway or your biggest lesson or something mm-hmm. you wish you would have known? Like if you could choose one thing to tell someone, what would you tell them?
1: Yeah. So it used to be don't vlog because that is like <laughs> one of the hardest ways to make it on YouTube is via vlogging. But apparently van life vlogging is like through the roof at the moment so that's not necessarily good advice but vlogging is a very yeah. difficult way to grow a channel and make money unless you are able to funnel all that into a patreon account so that you can get paid that way but oh, yeah. through view count and through advertisement revenue is a very difficult way to do it but it's definitely doable because people still do it and people do it successfully but the main advice that i gave when, when people are starting a youtube channel is like one you just have to do like you just have to like go through the ringer like before i started making money i'd made over over 200 videos on youtube and so like that's a lot of work and yeah that's a lot of work <laughs> yeah and basically 150 of those like collectively made me like 50 bucks maybe and, oh
0: my yeah. god I honestly I the fact that you didn't give up is quite admirable <laughs> <laughs> like I honestly would have given up a long time ago like I would still have made traveling work for sure but I don't think I would have been able to stick with YouTube because I I won't even start a channel because I know how much work it is like let alone if I made 150 videos and I wasn't making money I would be like absolutely yeah. not goodbye
1: yeah it's, it was really hard and I mean for me it was I, I mean all the people I look up to they're common advice is like never give up type of thing and then in my past i've quit on different things before um that i could have been like really good at and i was just like i'm i'm not going to quit i'm going to make this work yeah and so then it it just kept doing it but the real advice is like to be re- you have to be really honest with yourself with what you're creating and producing and whether or not it's valuable and you have to consistently ask yourself, this is this is the question that I always go back to is like, what value am I providing to the viewers that are watching this? It's uh-huh. like you have to be providing value of some kind. And so that can be just entertainment because entertainment is highly, highly valuable. But there has to be some value to what you're doing. And what I found when I started traveling and was doing like travel vlogging was I was like 21 And, and I had a back, I was 21 and broke basically. And I was traveling and living out of a backpack and I was editing these videos and I got to a point I was like, who the hell cares? Like what, what my daily (laughs) life is like, like nobody cares. I'm, I haven't done anything impressive. I haven't like achieved anything in life. I'm just a guy traveling because I want to be traveling. It's not like, you Uh know, somebody that's traveling that's already done this and this and this and has like a. Resume, it's like, I don't have a resume. I dropped out of high, I dropped out of college. <laughs> like, um, right. and so d- you have to be like really honest with what you're doing and whether or not it has potential and then shift accordingly. Um, like I said, it took me f- five different channels basically before I found something that worked. And, um, in, but I was like really, I was really holding on to that travel vlogging, like, style because I, I wanted to be a vlogger for some reason, which um it's like the amount of time vloggers put in, like they they yeah. put in work. And so yeah, it was just really being honest with myself and like looking at the data and being like, okay, the growth is not what I want. I've done this for this amount of time. I'm not seeing any exponential growth. I'm seeing linear growth and it's really slow. So what do I need to do? And then being aware enough, and I don't know what the word is, but daring enough, I guess, to change, to try something else, and then see if that works, and try that for a while, run different experiments, and then figure out what works in order to make money and then you have to it depends on how you're looking at it too because like I was looking at it as this is going to be my career I'm going to figure this out and make money doing this and create a business around this and so if you're looking at it like that then you need to like you can't be too delicate with yourself and your own ego and your own feelings you have to be like okay this video that I made sucked and I need to learn from it and figure out how to make something Mm -hmm. better and valuable And you just got to adapt.
0: Yeah. So to anyone who would hear this, do you think and like hear everything you're saying and be like, oh my God, I'm not doing that. That sounds like way too much work. Like, would you, I'm guessing you, I mean, the answer would be yes, but I would like to hear if you like, is all of that worth it? Like, do you think like going that marathon of a run is worth like crossing the finish line to the point where you are now, where you can travel, you are living on this sailboat. You've now seen parts of the world. Most people, I mean, could only dream of seeing, And you're able to financially support yourself. I mean, now you have like a big channel. It's really successful. Um, A lot of people refer to it when they're trying to find vans and find ways of traveling Mm -hmm. and the different, you know, like layouts and looks and all these things. Like, do you think all of that was worth the years of struggling and like 150 videos and all that?
1: The thing is, like, if you don't want to do YouTube, don't do it. Like, definitely don't do it. Uh The thing is, people see people that travel... And they see the influencers, right? They see the people on Instagram. They see the people on YouTube. And then they think, oh, you can only travel the world if you're doing social media. It's like, actually, no, that's wrong. Um, you can travel the world doing mm-hmm. a lot of different things. And if you don't want to do YouTube or social media, do not do it. Because it is really difficult. And um, But if you want to do it... And frustrating. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Like the... One of the hardest things I personally find with it is that the reward is nothing, basically. Like, you, the reward (laughs) is feeling satisfied with what you've created and then being able to live. Because, you know, I put out a video, and the most viewed video on the channel is like 14 million views. It's like, okay, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's just a number on a screen Uh that. It does not translate to oh yeah yeah fourteen million people have seen this. It's like no, no I have the number fourteen on a screen, and so it 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 doesn't. Uh-huh. There's a disconnect because it's digital. You don't get the reward of somebody. I mean, sometimes it happens where somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey man, I really appreciate what you've been doing. You know, it's helped me do this and this and that, and it inspired me, and then that feels really good. But it all being digital, you you don't get any of that reward unless you're really driven by numbers, which I'm not. And so yeah, if 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 you don't if you're not like, I wanna do YouTube or I wanna do social media or whatever, then don't do it because it's not it's not worth the the struggle. And there are so many other ways that you can make money that are way easier. Right. Especially if you wanna travel. There's so many different ways you can travel and make money.
0: Yeah, I always um I always say like, as soon as I close Instagram, because like, I don't do YouTube. I don't do anything else, really. Um, like, as soon as I close the app of Instagram, 140,000 followers goes away. Yeah. Like, it doesn't translate to anything yeah, else. It only matters when you're on that one app on one phone. And so it's like, as soon as you close that, it's like, n- y- yeah. I, you don't know that. Like, it just doesn't, it, it means nothing. And I don't, I, I don't want that to sound disrespectful either to anyone following either of us, because it's like, I'm obviously, immensely grateful yes, for definitely. the people who follow me and they're so kind and they they appreciate everything that I put out there so much and so therefore like I appreciate right. them however like like that 140,000 really d- it's not like I see 140,000 right. people in front of me like I, I have yeah, it's human psychology it is literally we're not, one not number. built
1: to work digitally like right like for millions of years the way we've been surviving is like hand to mouth type of thing like you do something with your body and then you get f- gratification from right. that in the world now we've got this amazing opportunity where we can do it online. And so you have immense freedom, which is amazing. And I'm thankful for it almost every single day that I can pick up a camera, make some videos, stick it into the ether, and then society grants me valuable (laughs) enough to give somebody a piece of plastic credit card and then I can eat. It's like, I am blown away that that is possible, but it does not work well with human psychology and our evolutionary background. It, it does not work with our reward systems properly. So you have to work around that, but it's definitely worth it for me because one of the reasons I picked YouTube as like the career path that I wanted to go on was because I was looking around and I was like, well, first of all, this whole nine to five thing is not me. It's just not, I, I, I uh-huh. do not work well working for people, basically. Like I, I need to be able uh-huh. to work for myself and do what I want to do. And it was the way I looked at YouTube was YouTube was the, the path that I could choose that would allow me the most freedom and flexibility with my life and to be able to do whatever I wanted, basically. And that is true there are multiple different avenues in which you can do that. But for me, that is why I picked YouTube. And I mean, it's true. I would, there's, there's no way that I would be living on a sailboat right now if it wasn't for the internet and YouTube. It's like, I'm from Kansas and I I grew up in um, like middle, lower middle class. And I was like, when I dropped out of culinary and I quit the country club I was doing construction it's like there there's no way that I would be able to be doing what I was doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for the internet and YouTube right so yeah it, it's but but all the numbers on the screen it's kind of like a ranking in a video game it's like kind of satisfying but not really <laughs> at all
0: right well because you think like I remember when. I like I I feel like this is almost like cringy to talk about, but it's just the truth Like before I hit a hundred thousand on instagram I was like i'm gonna be so excited when I hit a hundred thousand and then you hit it and it's like, okay Nobody cares like I feel no different Nothing changed like my life didn't become any different and then like you kind of chase a different number or a different number And like eventually you like you just learn there is no I could hit a million When it's like, okay, I love that. I love that because I get to share my my mission and my story and all these things with more and more people, right. which is at the core of like why I want to do what I'm yeah, doing. Absolutely. But at the same time, there's just no number that is like that number. Like right. you don't hit it. And like, then suddenly someone emails you and like your life just changes yeah. now because you got to hit this one particular number. And it just is like, yeah, it, it literally means nothing, especially when Instagram could be canceled tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I mean, YouTube is probably a lot less likely to, but All of these things are so fleeting. Like, we don't know how long they'll last or how long, you know, anything would be. And so, yeah, it is. It's interesting. I think the younger generations even coming, you know, under us are like, they value social media to such a degree. And I think, like, at least we're kind of we got a little lucky because we got to see it before like grow up kind of without yes. it um, and then now as you know we're getting older we're kind of able to utilize it in a, in a great way yeah I
1: definitely agree with that
0: I love talking about remote income especially when I know so many people want to do YouTube right. they want to do all these things they also want to hear someone successful on YouTube say that you don't have to do that um, because I, I just did an episode where I tried to list as many possible things outside of social media because like you said there's a million different jobs that you could have if you don't want to do Instagram or you don't care to learn about algorithms and this or that or youtube or whatever yeah
1: that are arguably way easier than like playing the social right. media game
0: yeah and faster like you can start making money pretty quickly by doing something else like the, like social media and youtuber is one of the longest games you can yeah. play to try and start making money
1: right and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to playing the social media game and youtube and there's other reasons that i do it besides just wanting to travel and whatnot and these are like longer term benefits and goals and whatnot but if your Uh goal is just to travel and sustain that then yeah using social media as a means to do that it's like there are so many faster ways that you can if really your goal is just i want to travel and sustain traveling yeah like do seasonal work or something like that that is like real quick you get paid and then you can keep going and then you work and then it's like there's so many faster ways.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. Um, Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Okay. But I do want to jump over just to like some boat stories. Yeah. I mean, I've never talked to anybody who lives on a boat. I would love to know. I mean, I have a million questions, but I, I mean, I, I feel like this is such a cliche thing to ask, but like, I want to know the craziest thing that you've experienced. Have you seen sharks? Do you see whales? Do you get to see dolphins? Like what happens on a day to day on a boat? Like, yeah. What do you do? I know obviously quarantine is Causing things to be a little bit different, yeah. but on a typical day-to-day basis, COVID nineteen aside, yeah, yeah, what do you do? What's your story? Yeah, so stories? I
1: haven't come across any sharks yet. Supposedly there are sharks in the Mediterranean, but I've never seen one. Dolphins are a relative regular occurrence, and that's always fantastic. Everybody loves seeing Can't dolphins,
0: imagine. and uh I would love to.
1: Yeah, they're they're great. They're, they're so fun because especially if we're sailing, they love to come and play with the boat. Like you can tell that they just want to play mm-hmm. with the boat because the boat, you know, makes its wake. And then they'll come up and swim right. up to the bow and like play in the water turbulence and basically like ramp off of the boat and then jump through the water.
0: Oh, my God. And depending
1: on how the wind in the water is moving, it's like they'll ride the waves come down through a wave and then use the momentum and the energy in the wave to launch themselves through the air and depending on the kind of dolphin Uh like some dolphins can jump way higher than other ones but if they go through a wave like backwards like if the wave is coming forward and they're coming backwards then they they literally ramp out ramp the wave and i've seen dolphins jump like six eight feet through the air it's it's absolutely amazing amazing. (laughs) yeah it's super cool yeah
0: I would be freaking out. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's one of the best parts is dolphins. I mean, they're so smart, mm-hmm. and then they just love to play. And you watch them, and you you can just tell that they're playing and having a great time. So that's fantastic. And then I mean, crazy stories. Pick a country, and I'll tell you a story from that country in the Mediterranean.
0: Oh, I mean, but you've been to so many countries.
1: Yeah, like um, I mean, there was this time in France. This was the Ah, it's not even the most expensive one, but it was a pretty expensive one. We were sailing from Catequist, Spain to La Ciota, France. And it was, I think it's like 120 miles or something like that. And so this is one of the things you have to get used to on a boat is it's so slow. (laughs) Like in a van, Uh you can go 60 miles in an hour. On a boat, sixty miles is like fourteen hours. <laughs> it is a long time. Oh my god! Yeah, it's really slow, but you can do that without burning any fossil fuels, which is really cool. So mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're sailing, and we're in this wind pattern that is a wind pattern that happens all the time in the area. You've got the Pyrenees mountains and the the. Uh, uh, Alps and the wind gets funneled between the two mountain ranges and comes down through France and then it goes across the Mediterranean Sea and it goes down, then it gets funneled through Malta and Tunisia and then it goes in into Greece and then sometimes it c- cuts across into Italy. And so it's a very common wind pattern. And so we're sailing across in this wind and it's like 25 knots, which is now nothing like insane. But at the time it was the heaviest wind I had ever sailed in and we're sailing and we these dolphins come and visit us and so waves are maybe six eight feet tall and then dolphins come and visit us and we're like oh sweet dolphin who film him and whatnot and uh, we're like oh dolphins good omen (laughs) and then like literally they (laughs) leave and within five minutes i hear like a clink clink, and i like look back i'm standing on the bow like what was that and they're like i don't know and so i come back and the davits which holds the the dinghy the small boat onto the boat had like uh-huh. sheared at the bottom so it was broken and the dinghy was hanging and the davits were bent over and it was just like bouncing up and down in the way in the wind and the waves and i was like oh my oh my god <laughs> we just broke the davits that holds yeah. the dinghy onto the boat and, and like i said we're in like six to eight foot waves and the wind's blowing 25 knots and so then I had to lower, I mean, I would have done it so differently. Like if it happened now, it wouldn't happen now because I wouldn't have made the mistakes that caused it. But if it were to happen now, fixing the problem, I would have done so many things differently. But what I did was I lowered the dinghy into the water and then had to like climb into the dinghy. While I mean, we're 50 miles from shore, the closest shore is 50 miles away. And you can't see land in uh-huh. any direction. And so I have to like climb into the boat and then, and I'm tethered to the sailboat with a life jacket on. It's like if I, if, I, if I were to fall in the water and I was not tethered, there's no way Taryn Jackson are rescuing me. It's just not like I uh-huh. w- I would die. So I'm dealing with that and then like dealing with this problem. And then we're like, we get it in. We're towing the dinghy behind us and then it flips and then I lose the outboard engine because I put the outboard engine in the dinghy like, uh, like a novice, (laughs) like a total noob (laughs) and uh, yeah, lost the the outboard motor and then I had to flip the dinghy over and yeah, it was that and so that turned like a... 25-hour sail into like a 30-something hour sail, I think, because then we were only sailing on one sail because I had to use the, mm-hmm. the rope that holds up the main sail to hold up the dinghy. And yeah, that was, that was a good one.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, did you learn all about the boat and all of this stuff like before ever living on one or did you go with someone who already knew that and that could teach you? Because that is like a lot of knowledge that no one knows unless I feel like they've lived on a boat.
1: Yeah, I had seven days sailing experience, maybe six. Oh. Yeah. So it's yeah.
0: <laughs> Expert levels.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think I was technically a captain at the time. No. I had I took yeah. one five-day sailing course and then I had like two other sailing occasions that collectively like added up to like six hours. So it was like across the span of seven days that I had been on sailboats, but Really, if you Uh were to add up the hours, it was only like six days worth of experience. And then, yeah, moved to the Mediterranean and bought a boat. And then just like four days after we bought the boat, we did our first sail, which was 111 miles. And so that was an overnight sail from Barcelona, Spain to Mallorca. And that was like, I'm really glad that we started with a big sail like that because then Uh big sails... After that, which happened relatively frequently, were not as intimidating anymore. It was just like, you know, just start with something right. real hard. And then in um, the first sail went pretty smooth. But yeah, I did not have any experience, basically. I knew how to That's sail amazing. kind of. But, but then yeah. s- l- like cruising full time, living on a sailboat is so much more than setting sails. It's like setting sails is the easiest part <laughs> of living on a sailboat
0: interesting. Yeah, I mean that would be like a huge dream of mine eventually, but I mean I would want more than <laughs> the like 7 to 9 days experience. Yeah, I would before recommend that. that. <laughs> yeah, sounds real scary. <laughs> okay, we can end on the question I, I always I end every episode by asking um what your favorite book is? Any recommendation that you think is of value in any way? It could be about sailing or
1: entrepreneurial
0: in any capacity.
1: I mean, the book that immediately came to mind was uh, the Tao Te Ching, which is the Mm -hmm. Taoist philosophy book. I don't know if you've read that one. I have not. It's great. I mean, I really like philosophy and religions and psychology and whatnot. And so, I can't, I don't remember when I first came across that book, but it's the, um, yeah, it's basically the Taoist sacred text. uh, And it's great. It's it's one of those books that depending on where you are in your life, you could read some of it and you'd be like, that's nonsense. And then five years Uh later, you could read that same thing and be like, oh my God, that is like the most profound thing I've ever read in my life. And so it's a weird book because some people read it and they're like, this is really dumb. But then other people <laughs> it really speaks to. And so for me, it really spoke to me when I read it first. And so that was the first thing that came to mind when you asked, what's my favorite book?
0: Okay. No, I love that. Yeah, I have not read that. So I will do so. I'm going to be in this Airbnb for a while now. So I can yeah, actually broken. get things
1: shipped. Let me look. I can't remember exactly. Let me see. It's got 81 different chapters. And each chapter is basically uh. like a page. There, It's it's basically okay. a book of poetry. Um, but it was written by Loud okay. Tzu. It's really great. I like it a lot. Um, but a lot of the stuff in it does not make sense unless it does. Um, so, okay, I like yeah. it a lot. No,
0: I'll, I will order that. Cool, cool. Okay. Well, is there anything else that you want to add or say or anything? I feel like we covered a lot of bases today. It was really nice finally getting to meet you. I mean, yeah, good to, you to meet are you. are like well. I said earlier one of the original names in the in the travel community, especially van life. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only thing would be like, check out the, our new channel, Dylan McGaster on YouTube. So you can just type in Dylan McGaster, or you can go to youtube.com forward slash Dylan McGaster two. That's the number two. And that is all like sailing adventures and stuff related to water and travel. And, um, I'm really happy with how things have been coming together like that. I don't know of anybody on YouTube that is making that, type of travel content that we're producing right now. So I'm really happy with how it's turned out. And then if you're interested in alternative living spaces, tiny houses, vans, anything like that, be sure to check out Florb, F-L-O-R-B. Just type that into YouTube and it'll come right up. And if you want to, you can follow me on Instagram, Dylan McGaster. So that's D-Y-L-A-N-M-A-G-A-S-T-E-R.
0: Love that. Yeah, you're definitely an expert at that. <laughs> You've done that a few times. <laughs> yeah. I will tag everything. It'll all be in the description of the podcast episode.
1: Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And yeah, we should do this again at some point.
0: Yeah, no, I would absolutely love to. Maybe one day if you're ever in the States, I can come see the sailboat. Yeah. And then we could we could just record one on the sailboat. That would yeah, be so Yeah, that'd be cool.
1: fantastic. It'll be a little while until we'll get to the States, um, but definitely plan on sailing it back there. But it looks like that's not going to happen until 2022, probably. Oh, really? If you're ever in the Mediterranean, yeah, just let me know. And you can hang out on the boat. Love that. Okay. And I got loads of audio gear.
0: (laughs) I know. As soon as I saw your microphone, I was like, oh, thank God. That's always my biggest concern. I'm like, please, I just need it to be good. Okay. Well, uh, (laughs) I love talking to you. Thank you for coming on. And yeah, I will talk to you soon.
1: Cool. Thanks, Sydney. Bye.